Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back, everybody. This is David Shepard on CBS Sports Radio Nationally and WFAN. We are joined. And we use this term a little loosely in sports, but this is not over-exaggerating when it comes to this particular gentleman. We are joined by the legendary Bob Costas here on WFAN and CBS Sports Radio. What a treat this is. Bob, how are you, sir? I'm good, David. And, you know, legendary, especially these days, the way it's tossed around, can be mostly a good thing, but not entirely a good thing. You can be, you can be legendary for a lot of stuff, not, not all of which you want to really claim, but anyway. Right. Well, listen, Bob, you kind of hit the nail on the head. You were legendary for this. I'm just going to get you started with this. MLB Network's Prime 9, it, it had its debut in 2009. The MLB Network and you do such a wonderful job of covering an array of categories, notwithstanding the top players at every on-field position. For sports fans that may not be as familiar with it, why is this a must-watch? Well, Prime 9, especially at the beginning of the network, which came on the air in 2009, it was really a staple. And it wasn't just ranking players. It was like the nine greatest characters in the history of the game, nine greatest executives, nine greatest come-from-behinds, nine most memorable finishes, whatever it might have been, Prime 9, with the idea that even with a DH, there's nine players on the field at any given time. Um, when we brought it back uh, a couple of weeks ago, it was confined to the nine best players since 1947. So that eliminates Ty Cobb and Rogers Hornsby and Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth, etc. And it also eliminated Joe DiMaggio because you had to have played more than half your career after 1947, which is why contemporaries like Musial and Williams are in there. And Joe DiMaggio, who retired after the 51 season, is not. And so it was the nine best players since 1947 at each of the positions plus starting pitcher and relief pitcher but here's the key i narrated it but i had absolutely no input into the list i saw the list when i saw the scripts and so some of it i agreed with and some of it i vehemently disagreed wait, wait, with. wait bob that's like having a conversation about foreign policy and having henry kissinger just narrate it one of the great <laughs> opinionists of our time they didn't even solicit anything from you? No, they didn't. And I'm not exactly sure what formula or what criteria they used. The Major League Baseball Network Research Department is a marvel. So many smart people, really good at what they do, impeccable in their research. And some of this is really head-scratching. For example, among the nine best according to these lists, sure. starting pitchers, no Bob Gibson. I don't know how that's possible. Oh. You know, Juan Marichal doesn't appear either, nor does Jim Palmer, but the list is stacked. And so you could see some of those omissions, 
but you can't make up that list right. without Bob Gibson. I just want to make it clear. Some of it I embrace, and some of it I say, what? <laughs> so, so, folks, we are with the legendary. You recognize this voice. He has been around this sport, around pretty much every sport for the last 50 years. Not to age him, because he's only 52 years old, for anybody keeping track at home. But we are, of course, joined by the legendary Bob Costas. I'm so glad you brought that up, because when we think of the sport of baseball, a lot mm-hmm. of people identify with you. They identify with the late, great Vince Scully. Some will say Joe Buck. Of course, he goes for uh, a ransom with Monday Night Football on ESPN, so we wish he was still calling games. But when you talk about the Hall of Fame and you talk uh-huh. about Pete Rose, when I host a radio show, the biggest uh-huh. controversy about Hall of Fames is always Cooperstown. It's never the NFL. It's never the NBA. The of Nation. course. And in fact, it's obviously the easiest Hall of Fame to get into. Removing Pete Rose and removing those who are aligned and whispered to be part of the steroid era, there are some grudges in baseball, and yeah. that, that's the reality. So removing Pete Rose and removing likes of Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and Manny Ramirez, who are three of your individuals that absolutely need to be in the Hall of Fame and aren't? And don't be afraid to say Don Mattingly, Bob. Well, there's a lot of layers to the question you just posed. One is just about baseball itself. Baseball is the sport where generational comparisons matter most and where statistics, especially now that advanced analytics can weigh them for uh, the period of time in which the player played against league averages, ballpark effects, and all the rest, it's actually possible to compare, perhaps imperfectly, but in a general way you can compare across the decades and across the eras as long as you're well-informed. It's almost impossible to do that in other sports. I don't hear anybody ever say, I wonder if Red Grange was as good as Barry Sanders. I wonder if George (laughs) Mikan is as good as Nikola Jokic. No one ever does that. But in baseball, they do. So that's part of the reason why those conversations are more spirited in baseball than in other sports. And it's almost a standing joke uh, in your business and a business I used to be in way back when, which is hosting a sports talk program, that if things go slowly, just throw this out. Pete Rose, Hall of Fame, yes or no? And the phones light up because everybody has an opinion. When it comes to Pete, I've said this many times, I think that baseball blew it early on. Most people understand that Pete Rose broke a cardinal rule in baseball, even though baseball, like other sports now, embraces and actually promotes gambling. They still say, all sports still say, we prohibit betting by our players and executives, umpires, whatever, uh, on baseball or on football, as the case may be. He broke a cardinal rule, and the punishment was clear. So he deserved to be banned from baseball. But somebody got those 4,256 hits, all of which predate the accusations of gambling. I put this question to Bud Selig and other commissioners. Who hurt the game more? Steroid users who distorted the record books? Or Pete Rose, who hurt himself, certainly, and dispersed the game in some sense, but really had a positive impact on the game as a player. Uh, Steroid guys may or may not get in, witness Clemens or Bonds, but they were on the ballot for 10 years. Pete Rose stands out as an example of an excessive punishment. Justice can be tempered by mercy. Most fans understand. Banned from baseball, yes, on the ballot and deserves to be in the Hall of Fame as well. And I hope at some point that can be corrected while Pete is still around, no pun intended, to smell the roses. And to finish off this point, the Hall of Fame put in what amounted to an ex post facto rule in 1991 
just as Pete was about to become eligible for the ballot as a player, saying any person on the permanently ineligible list is not eligible for the Hall of Fame ballot. Well, clearly that wasn't aimed at shoeless Joe Jackson, who had been dead since the early 1950s, and as Casey Stengel would have said, remains dead at the present time. And so um, it was aimed at Pete Rose, and it was punitive. It made no sense. So Pete should be in the Hall of Fame. I hope it happens while he's still alive. When it comes to Bonds and Clemens, here's my view, and it's a tortured view on my part. It is clear, especially in Bonds' case, Clemens was able to sustain a level of performance. Barry Bonds and others exceeded any probable level of, of performance that they ever would have otherwise had without steroids. Barry Bonds is one of the greatest all-round players of all time on his natural merits. Right, without but, question. When, but, he, but he had a 12 or 13 year, that's substantial. Joe DiMaggio only played 13 years when you subtract uh, the World War II service. 13 years is a substantial period of time. That established a track record. That was a Hall of Fame track record for Barry Bonds. It wasn't a superhuman track record, right. which is what he became beginning in the early 2000s. So his records, both single season and career home run records, and some of his slugging percentages and other performances late in his career when he should have been declining rather than exceeding all known norms, those are inauthentic. But he was authentically a great all-round player, one of the greatest all-round players of his time. We were with, again, legendary Bob Costas. You can catch him on CNN. You can catch him on MLB Network. You can catch him on TBS. He's still doing basically everything in the world of sports, and he has scaled back, which is saying something. Bob, you mentioned the aspect of, of the Hall of Fame and the nuances and the layers that come with it. And I've always wanted to ask you this question. Mm -hmm. For as long as I can remember, Joe DiMaggio insisted he be introduced as the greatest yes. living ball player of all time. Now, you did a fascinating interview with Sandy Koufax, Johnny Bench, hammering Hank Aaron, the late, great Hank Aaron, and, of course, Willie Mays, who was right mm -hmm. to your right. Mm -hmm. Willie Mays, to me, by all accounts, at the exception of Babe Ruth, is, without hesitation, the greatest all-around player to ever lace up the cleats, to ever put on a glove. Why do we not give Willie Mays the same reverence as we did Joe DiMaggio. And did Willie, did he ever take issue with Joe DiMaggio having to be announced as the greatest living ball player when everyone with two eyeballs could tell that it was always Willie Mays? No, I don't think he was bitter about it. Uh, I, I think he kind of smiled and rolled his eyes about it. You know, when you talk about the greatest all-round player and you mention Ruth, Ruth, obviously, in the context of his time, was an offensive juggernaut. And then you add the fact that he was on a Hall of Fame track as a pitcher before he became essentially an outfielder. And now you can talk about Shohei Otani doing both simultaneously. And Ruth never did it at Otani's level simultaneously. He was a greater hitter than Otani has been. And in the context of his time, he was as good a pitcher as Otani has been, maybe better in some respects, but he never did them simultaneously at that level. But still, neither one is as great an all-around player as Mays, if you're talking about fielding and base running. Otani steals bases, no question. But Mays was a superlative base runner in an era when base stealing wasn't um, emphasized as much as it is now. Uh, he still led the league a few times, speaking of Mays, in stolen bases. But he was a great, great base runner. He's one of the smartest players who ever played, his understanding and grasp of the game. He was a joy to watch. One of those players, you know, like Magic Johnson in basketball uh, and a few others, you don't just recognize their greatness. 
He makes you smile watching him play. That's what Willie Mays was. When it came to DiMaggio, he was obviously a great, great player. And those who saw him in person talk about his grace and how he seldom made a mistake. Uh, And he holds an unbreakable record of 56 straight games. And there's a mystique around him. Two songs written about him. Paul Simon wrote one that that mentions him. He was not incidentally married to Marilyn Monroe. Um, So, you know, there's, there's an element to his story that's interesting. In 1969, the 100th anniversary of professional baseball, Cincinnati Reds came into existence in 1869. They put together a panel, and they voted for an all-time team and a greatest living team. And the greatest all-time player, I think, was Ruth, and the greatest living player was DiMaggio. Now, you have to remember, these are sports writers who, in 1969, might have been middle-aged men. Sure. So they may have leaned toward DiMaggio, and Aaron and... Mays were still in the midst of their careers, but he was named the greatest living player. So DiMaggio didn't make that up himself. He was vain enough, however, to insist it. That, that right every <laughs> right. time he was introduced to to <laughs> you, you must introduce me at old timers games as the greatest living player. And he had, in fairness, he had been named that as great as DiMaggio was. Mays was greater. That makes sense. And I think for people that can just look at numbers. Willie Mays was the guy that people believe was going to ultimately challenge Babe Ruth. It turned out to be the more consistent hammering Hank Aaron, who certainly was not the all-around player that Willie Mays was. And Bob, what I appreciate about you, and again, we are joined by the legendary Bob Costas here on WFAN and on CBS Sports Radio nationally. You never exaggerate more than a centimeter in order to describe a play. You don't Mm -hmm. do shtick. You're not about gravitating towards ratings. You just let ratings come to you because of your brilliance. I don't say that just because I'm on the air with you. I do take issue with this. Okay. I had a problem with what you said on Bill Maher's Club Random. When you said, when you were doing Yankees Guardians, you feel like you weren't nailing it. You feel like you were off your game, and the Mm -hmm. flow and the rhythm wasn't necessarily there, not just 20, 30 years ago, but maybe two, three years prior to that. Don't you think that's just Bob Costas being incredibly hard on himself because the old Dr. J adage is the great ones are harder on themselves so no one else has to be? Because I still listen to you, and I still watch you on TBS, and you haven't lost a single decimeter of that fastball, don't you think you're just being a little critical of yourself in that instance? Well, I understand the point you're making, and I appreciate it. To the beginning of what you just said, someone once wrote about me that every great has to be earned. And I I hope so. I hope I don't throw adjectives around uh, promiscuously. Um, When you're watching sports these days, you'll hear someone say, so-and-so had an unbelievable performance. Pitched six innings, gave up two runs, struck out five, walked one. That's a good performance. It's not an unbelievable performance. You were astonished by that performance? No, you weren't. So I try to be a little little more uh, careful with uh, the superlatives. And in terms of what you said about ratings, you're giving me too much credit. I was very lucky to be on network TV virtually all of my career. So I'm doing the game of the week. I'm doing the NBA Finals and the World Series and the Olympics. The ratings would come to whoever did that. You hope you did a good job. You hope you enhanced it in some small way. But the ratings were there to begin with. I, I never had to, to chase them. Um, I also I understand your point about someone being a perfectionist. But I, I have lost a little bit 
um, you lose a little bit of sharpness as you get older. Uh, I think in a conversation like this, we're doing historical pieces. It's just as good as it ever was. But there are little missteps that have crept in, and I've tried to adjust. I don't think I'm going to be doing this very much longer, at least not the play-by-play part. But I care too much about the craft, and when it comes to baseball, I care too much about the game. Not to be able to feel that I'm at, or at least close to, my career level. You know, you have a lifetime batting average. Every player, even the best players, decline a little bit, and their last years don't match up to their lifetime batting average. But you don't want to have too many of those years. Right. There are younger people that are, that are worthwhile, just as there was a time when it was my time. Since you asked the question, I'm, I'm giving you a fulsome answer sure. here. You know, it's kind of a trope about broadcasters and people in many walks of life that, you know, they, they hope to die in the booth. They hope to, to take their last breath right after saying, back after this. Sure, sure. That's never been me, and I, and I can prove it. <laughs> I walked away from football, the most watched thing in sports, twice. I walked away from it in the 1990s when I was barely 40. I only came back to it at NBC because my close friend Dick Ebersole made an impassioned case that he really needed me when they were launching Sunday Night Football. And before I turned 60, I designed a contract with NBC which said that I'd be done hosting the Olympics when I was still quite capable at doing it after the Rio Olympics in 2016. And that is also when I would be done covering Sunday night football, except as an occasional contributor. So I did that by choice. And the only thing I kept on a regular basis was the MLB network because of my love of baseball. And I still feel that generally speaking, it's a good fit. Now, the thing you mentioned about Bill Maher illustrates something else. Bill is a longtime friend. uh, And he's often said very complimentary things about me as a broadcaster in general and as a baseball broadcaster in particular. And Club Random is an open-ended podcast, as many podcasts are. I think we went an hour and 40 minutes. You did? And in it was the course, twice as long as Pierce Morgan, which is saying something. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and at the rate I'm answering your questions, this may rival that mark. <laughs> but in any case, um, he, he says at one point, he says, you know, I love the way you do a baseball game. It has a different texture to it or words to that effect. It has different aspects to it. Uh, I really enjoy it. And it was in response to that that I said, yeah, you know, um, that's why... If I don't get to that standard, um, I feel bad about it because I'm only doing it now for a smaller audience, and in part I'm doing it for people like you that have appreciated the way I've done it over the years. Now, the tone of that and the context in the middle of something of more than an hour and a half to his audience is entirely different than what inevitably happens. It'll happen in this conversation, which I'm enjoying very much, and I hope the audience appreciates a conversation that has some depth to it. Guarantee you somewhere this will be repurposed by people who are either cynical or lazy or stupid right. or some combination of those three things. And the only intent will be to generate some clicks. And so what I said to Bill, which was good-natured, was in response to what he said. It wasn't a proclamation from out of the blue. And it was measured and nuanced. That gets repurposed as, you know, Bob Costas, I sucked. You know, it, it's, it's a losing game. Correct. 
in 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 the world we live in. It used to be when I do a program like this, which I do because of my regard for you, it is heard by that audience. Now maybe somebody who hears it, you know, misrepresents it in a conversation with their pal over a beer, but it wasn't going anywhere else except the primary audience for the most part. Sure. Now this could show up anywhere in the next five minutes. And how accurately, faithfully, and honestly it's represented is pretty random, like Club Random. Club Random, there you go. A sport Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. That you love, by the way, which you are synonymous with is, of course, baseball. And this is not going to be the first time you have gotten this question, so I, I preface it with that. This was at one time when you were starting out professionally. By leaps and bounds, the most popular sport in America. It wasn't even mm-hmm. close. The NFL I mean, it was getting half the ratings, half the viewership. Now baseball is number three to the NBA and to the NFL. And this was at a time, Bob, where they were playing 12 games in the NFL. Now, by the time this interview is over, it might be 18, 19 games because they add a game every single year. What does the sport that you love have to do, if anything, to somehow compete with the likes of the NBA and especially the NFL? Do you ever see in your lifetime baseball being comparable in terms of viewership and ratings to the NFL? What do they have to do in order to accomplish that? Well, all your questions are incisive and they're multi-layered. So let's back up and take it in two parts. When you said when I started doing this, there were 12 teams. I was uh, 12 games, rather, in an NFL season. I was alive then. Right. right. (laughs) By the time I started doing it, there were 14 games, and shortly thereafter, (laughs) it became 16 games. So let's let's get that part straight. Look, the NFL is not only a sports juggernaut, it is an entertainment and business juggernaut in a fractionalized world where the landscape of media is changing at rocket-level speed. The only thing that aggregates outside maybe the Olympics. The only thing that aggregates a consistently large audience is the NFL, where NFL regular season games now get higher ratings than World Series games or NBA Finals games. So there's no changing that. It's the most important thing 
in all of American entertainment for reasons that we can talk about or debate at another time. Sure. Baseball, I'm not so sure that it's third. Uh, I think overall, when you look at baseball, uh, the number of people that attend baseball games over the course of a season, obviously its season is twice as long as basketball or hockey. Uh, and when you look at local or regional ratings for baseball in the summertime, uh, still very strong. And at the game, we're not a thriving business. Forget about Otani's contract or Judge's contract or Bryce Harper's contract. You wouldn't just kind of look up and barely bat an eye when Isaiah Kiner-Falefa signs this week for $7.5 million a year. If Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, no, no disrespect intended, was released tomorrow, no one outside his own family would be aware of it. Right. So if, if the game is able to pay good or average players that kind of money, the game is obviously in good financial shape, even if there are inequities competitively between uh, the biggest market teams and, and other teams. Um, the problem baseball has is on a national basis. It used to be that the Saturday game of the week on NBC really was the game of the week. That would get ratings, in some cases, higher than postseason games get now. And the LCS was on either ABC or NBC, both LCSs, and then the other network would have the World Series. So the teams in the World Series didn't arrive from out of the shadows. They had lots of national exposure, and the storylines were established. I think of the 86 postseason, maybe the greatest of all time. The Astros and the Mets, the Angels and the Red Sox, both completely classic series that led into an unforgettable World Series between the Mets and, and the Red Sox. The whole country, by the time that World Series started, they'd followed the two LCSs. They knew these teams. And the proof of this is that Game 7 of that World Series was scheduled for Sunday night, and it rained. And so Game 7 was played on Monday night opposite the then Washington Redskins versus the New York Giants on Monday night football on ABC. And the baseball game got a rating in the 30s, and the football game got a rating in single digits. Jeez. That's how different it was then. just want to be very clear about this, because if you are talking to Bob Costas, you want to be as accurate and meticulous as possible. So when I reference baseball being number three, I'm talking about strictly from Gallup poll numbers. I'm not taking into account merchandise yeah. or, or regional uh, uh -huh. ratings, etc. There was a time now where baseball you know, was 50% of everyone's favorite sport in this country. Now yeah. that is down and dwindled to 10%. So I just want to make sure we are as accurate as possible about that. Now, shifting gears to the NFL. Bob, you alluded to it. You took your share of criticism from some, not from most, but from some, when you were very honest about concussion-related illnesses when it yeah. came to those playing football. Now, this was over a decade ago, and, and this was to the, I think, the general public at large and most fans shared a similar sentiment with you. And you were quoted as saying, you like the NFL in spite of its violence. Now, since that time, to yep. their credit, they have done things like stopping defenders from reckless tackles and landing yep. on quarterbacks and then reducing big-time collisions. And credit to them also for getting rid of kickoff returns. Outside of Brian Mitchell, I can't recall a reason why you would watch kickoff returns. And so, Bob— Devin oh, Hester. Yeah, he should be in the Hall of Fame. We agree on that? He's on the ballot. He, yeah, he's a finalist, but he should be yeah, in. I he, agree. I, in fact, I did a halftime uh, essay about that. 
right. when he was still playing, right. that he should be a candidate for the Hall of Fame. And if there's not a more humble athlete, I don't know who it is than Devin Hester, by the way. We'll look forward to his speech if and when he dons the gold jacket. That's true. And people were saying the same thing about Edron James. We hadn't heard him talk in 15 years, and he blew everyone out of the water. So with that all being said, Bob, when you look at what the NFL has done since you made those mm-hmm. comments, how would you assess the NFL and what they have done to improving player safety. I think they have done a very good job, but we have to say that were it not, and I think I'm a minor part of this, but Alan Schwartz in the New York Times did a Pulitzer level, I think he was nominated, I don't know if he won it, but a Pulitzer level job in a series of stories going back 15 years, I guess, uh, about CTE and, and others, Robert Cantu and others up in Boston with their scientific expertise and even the Will Smith movie concussion without all of that and that includes me because i had a platform that was widely seen without all that pressure do you think they would have responded the way they did absolutely not this is a result this is a result of public pressure public awareness their own concern that mom and dad aren't going to let little junior play football when he's 12 years old especially moms a lot of their PSAs, if that's what you want to call them, were aimed toward moms. Football as family was trying to counteract the growing, understandable concern about the nature of the game. Now, having said that, have they done a lot? Yes. And I've always given them credit for it, as I do now. Have they done a lot? Yes. Will they continue to do more um, as possible ways to make the game safer are identified? Yes, I believe they will. But all they can do is make the game less dangerous. They cannot make it safe or even close to safe. There will always be players, some of them not in the NFL. If you play football for any considerable period of time, take 100 people who play football as it's played at the top levels for any considerable period of time, a percentage of them will suffer neurological damage, will suffer CTE or some related condition as a result of having played football. It is the nature of the game, but it's also something that most of the media and certainly a huge portion of America either has ignored or made their peace with, and they've rationalized it because they find the game and all that surrounds it too compelling, and that's fine. I'm not critical of that. I myself felt a greater level of ambivalence, and because of that, I became less and less comfortable with being one of the people who presented it. In fairness, NBC gave me some opportunities, as HBO certainly did, to make the points that we're making here. Uh, But eventually, I think they got a little uneasy with the fact that I was making them perhaps too bluntly. And after all, their relationship with the NFL isn't just the most important relationship for NBC Sports or any network sports division. It's the most important aspect of their entire network because it gets better ratings than anything else on the entertainment side. It's the, so, opposite, of the, XFL, you know, it's the opposite of the XFL is what you're saying. Well, the XFL in its first iteration right. was a disgrace, right, but that's right. a, a separate story. Right. But you know what? It shows you America's obsession with football. The second iteration of the XFL before it was derailed by COVID, and I forget what it was called, the Alliance of American Football or some such thing. Those leagues where even avid fans didn't know any of the players, um, and there weren't that many people in the stands in most cases, even for their championship games, but those games got TV ratings that were more than acceptable from a cable standpoint, because a lot of Americans will just watch football, 
As we're talking now, we're in bowl season. People are watching games where they don't know two players on Correct. either team. Correct. But, uh, hey, it's football. And, of course, now you can bet on it, as you can bet on other sports, but maybe football offers more appealing betting opportunities. It's just got so many advantages over other sports, the once-a-week aspect, the fact that most of the games are played on weekends or on a Monday night or whatever it might be. Um, you know, I don't, I don't see that juggernaut slowing down anytime soon. You were very complimentary of ESPN for a long time, but you also had that perch where when you said something critical about them, they had to take their lumps if it was someone like yourself. And most people couldn't get away with that. But you were critical of them. When they, when they had these featured, you know, jacked up segments, uh, they were endorsing it. They were putting their signature on it. And, and right. it took somebody like yourself to kind of, you know, hold a mirror to ESPN and say, you know, what's, what's the objective yeah. here? We're just talking he, about the long-term health of these NFL players who are coming got, to 27. He got jacked up like a bunch of drunken frat boys. Right. Look. Sports is supposed to be fun. And I think anybody, now I realize if someone listening to this is 25 years old, they don't have any recollection, nor should they, of the earlier portions of my career. But throughout my career, I think I've displayed a, a sense of humor. And, and uh, somebody once wrote about me, what, one of the things I like the best, said he's reverent and irreverent at the same time. You know, I used to show up on SNL and David Letterman and Conan O'Brien, et cetera, et cetera. Sports is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be, hey, you're slapping your buddy on the back, at least in part, as you, as you quaff a beer while you're watching the game. Sure. I totally get that. Sure. But there's a portion of it, and a lot of this is on talk radio, obviously not your program, where the ideal uh, host is somebody who is probably better suited to be one of the listeners. You know? <laughs> like, what would Jim McKay do today? What would Jack Whitaker do today? Yeah. What would a young Vin Scully do today? Somebody whose highest aspiration was not to identify as the dopiest guy at the bar. How about Ernie Harwell or Red Barber or Mel Allen? You know, all these people have spoken of reverently, right. even by younger fans who remember them or have heard about them. But, but if they were starting out today, if Vin Scully, the greatest of the great, was doing national games today, right. dopes on Twitter would rip him. And they would mock the very things that made him great. And, you know, you mentioned earlier in this conversation that someone like Scully, who, of course, was a unicorn, both because of his talent and the circumstances that surrounded his career, that they went on into their late 70s or 80s. But 89. a local baseball yeah. announcer has a different relationship. It's a more forgiving and understanding relationship than the national broadcaster should have with his or her audience. Even Vin Scully had little missteps in the later years. He's only human, even though his broadcasting talent was superhuman. Sure. He once called Steven Strasberg Steven Spielberg. It happens. Well, that's pretty good know? company to but be it, in. I mean, we're talking about a Cecil B. DeMille Award winner before they're age 60, right? So Strasberg should be complimented by that. <laughs> yes, that's, that is correct. Right. If you, <laughs> that is correct. But in any case, that, that's a different relationship. Sure. Jack Buck, toward the end of his career as a Cardinal announcer, was not as good as he was in the prime of his Hall of Fame career. He had Parkinson's. In fact, he used to joke. He, he was a very witty guy. He said, I gave the Cardinals the best years of my life, and now I'm going to give them the worst. And the crowd, the crowd laughed, and they were <laughs> appreciative because he was Jack Buck. Right. But at that point, Jack Buck should not have been doing network games, and he wasn't. Sure. You know, 
So that's a different deal. And I recognize what that deal is. For anybody, you know, listening right now across North America, CBS Sports Radio nationally, and of course, simulcasted on WFAN, this is the legendary voice of Bob Costas. A lot of people, you know, today, they see those transcending sports. Robin Roberts, Michael Strahan, Nate Burleson, uh-huh. you and Brian Gumbel. You were the first, you know, to really be so etched in, in sports popularity and then to make that transition yeah. to late night talk shows and in Brian Gumbel's case, the, the Today Show. Mm-hmm. What allowed you to be so successful in that six year reign when you were hosting that nightly half hour long late show? I can't speak for Bryant, whose career really um, should be appreciated now that real sports, which essentially was the 60 minutes of sports, has ended its run. Just brilliant work. And Brian, of course, as you say, on the Today Show was significant for a number of reasons. Uh, I think that I was a reasonably well-read person who had honest interests, both in sports and outside sports. I think I had a grasp of history, which helped me in sports, but also helped me when it came to just talking to someone whose career uh, in entertainment or in literature or in politics largely predated my own awareness, but I wasn't someone like too many people who say, hey, if it's outside my frame of reference or it happened before I was aware, it doesn't matter. That's boring to me. No, it's interesting. Learn something. So part of what I always appreciated about preparing for the Olympics, I didn't use 80% of what I prepared, but you couldn't be sure what would come in handy. So you tried to be familiar with all of it. It was an education, even with baseball. I think I knew a lot about baseball when I was starting, but I learned more about it. I absorbed more about it. And preparing for each of the guests on later, and our production staff and research staff were magnificent. The education of it, the becoming more familiar with someone who I might have been somewhat familiar with, but going deeper, and then the conversation itself, because it was a half hour, something you don't see on television now, a half hour no studio audience, sure. no bells and whistles, just a conversation that unfolded organically. And if the person was interesting enough, they came back for a second or even a third night on the program. And over the course of the six years that I did it, and I probably left it too soon, in retrospect, it's a regret. I probably should have kept going for at least a little while longer. But in the course of the time that I did it, there was such a wide range of people. You could literally be talking to a Pulitzer Prize winner or the Secretary of State on one night and the next night taking a pie in the face from soupy sales. <laughs> it had that kind of texture to it. You know, I prided myself on, on that. Um, I, I, you know, I think that you, it used to be that when you think of a Jack Whitaker, when you think of a Jim McKay, when you think of Vin Scully, if you were around Jack Buck as I was, you didn't have to be told that these were people who had read books These were people who had lived a life outside the stadium or the arena, which is not to diminish the importance of the shared experience and the excitement of sports. But your presentation, even of sports, can be enhanced if you know something about something other than ball one, strike two. So, you know, if I fall into that category, then I guess that's a good thing. You you certainly do, Bob. And and the, the last thing I will say is anybody that grew up with you, we all remember what happened on HBO with Vince McMahon. And... The reality is, at five foot eight, five foot nine, when Vince McMahon at six foot five leaned forward and had his finger in your face, you leaned forward as well. You weren't aggressive, you weren't rude, 
You didn't try to raise the temperature, but you literally sat toe-to-toe with Vince McMahon. And to your credit, what never gets discussed is that there was a second interview with Vince McMahon that was quite in contrast with the intensity and the emotional nature of the first one. And I'm hoping that we get a number three at some point, Bob. Yeah, I don't know what the platform would be at this point in our respective careers, but it it might be interesting. Uh, You know, some interviews are more to find out about a person's life and career. Later was mostly about that. Some are more journalistic in nature, and it should be done just as if the person was on Meet the Press. And I hope I had enough range to fit into whatever slot was appropriate in a given circumstance. It was Vince who made that as heated as it was. The questions were reasonable, and he got angry. And when he got angry, and it was live on HBO and with no commercials because it's HBO, So it was nearly half an hour, much of it unremitting tension. When he got angry, that changed the tone, but it didn't change what I thought were the appropriate questions. And as you said, what was I going to do? You know, some people watching it, in fact, some people in the studio thought he was going to smack me. Maybe I'm a little dense. I just didn't think that. I thought he was trying to intimidate me with his tone of voice and with his body language. And I think he became more annoyed when it didn't work. As you said, he came forward in his seat and was jabbing a finger. Where was I going to go? Right. Three inches further back. By the right. way, speaking of inches, I appreciate you calling me 5'8 or 5'9. I wasn't listed that way <laughs> when, when I tried to make my high school basketball team. Right. Yeah. Well, um, we, we exaggerate in the NBA. We can certainly afford that for Bob Costas as well. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, when, when he came forward, I came forward and kind of smiled at him. And I think that set him off even more. Uh, you know what? It's an episode. It is. It is what it is. People remember it. Uh, I've crossed paths with Vince a few times since, and we have a laugh about it. It's all it's all cool with me. Yes, sir. Just as long as Triple H is, is not there as well, saying he uh, he has backup. That's time. right. That's what happened. We were in a restaurant, and the waiter comes over and says, uh, <laughs> Mr. Costas, Mr. McMahon is over there. He'd like to say hello to you. So I walk up, and he's with Triple H, and Triple H stands up, and he goes, Careful, Bob. This time you brought backup. <laughs> so it's all, you know, it's all a joke. All right. But it was, by the way, it was not staged. You know, because it was then the WWF, some people thought, oh, this is staged, like right. everything in wrestling is. Uh-uh. <laughs> Not at all. As, as, as somebody that has been in this business for almost 20 years my, myself, the, the, there are certainties. And one of those certainties is that Bob Costas does not need to inflate nor exaggerate anything that he does. And certainly a staged interview would be as such. Bob, this is such a thrill. It's an honor to be able to talk to you for the for the past hour. It has really been an absolute honor and thrill to have you here on WFN and CBS Sports Radio. Continued success, continued health and happiness to you and your family. And and Bob, honestly, thank you so much for the hour that you gave well, us. You made me better, David, made your audience better. So thank you so much, sir. David, thank you. You've been too kind, but I appreciate it. And now you need to consult with Ken Burns because this is of a documentary length. <laughs> How are you going to break this up? Maybe spread it out over a week or something in five different parts so you can get the commercials in. I don't think you're going to be able to play this in one gulp. Nope. nope. But now that's up to you. I leave it in your hands. I'm done. Sounds good. Folks, you're listening to the great, legendary, iconic Bob Costas on CBS Sports Radio Nationally and WFAN. This is David Shepard, and we'll be right back. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Over here. 
plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is high. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's gonna go! Alvarez ties the game! Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.